Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, June 26th, 2023. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So, you know, by the time this episode airs, if all goes well, fingers crossed, I'm going to be uh, in San Diego, California at the annual GMAC conference. I think I mentioned that last week, but um, I'm really looking forward to it. Love to connect with all the admissions directors and and just sort of get get all the industry, uh, you know, news and notes and stuff. So it'll be fun. Oh, brilliant. Safe travels too. And as we just talked before we came on air, there may be a special episode of Wiretaps yeah, as a result try. of yeah. you hanging out with these gatekeepers. Yeah, I'm going to try and do that. So stay tuned on that. Uh, the other thing is, um, have you, what's the latest? Like I know it, it started to really settle down in terms of waitlist movement and, and kind of the, the 22, 23 admission cycle is sort of done at this point. No, I mean, we're really close. <laughs> Yeah, we're really, really close to the to the end now. So quite quite um, limited activity um, on on the wires at this point, which we we should expect. There will be a little bit of weightless movement. Yeah. Um, um, over the next uh, month or two, but it'll be little movements at, at, at the different schools. So if you're on a summer waitlist, it's not over. Yeah. Um, but um, it's it's definitely um, close to the end for for. Uh, this upcoming week, we've got a couple of decision releases. We've got Kellogg with its um, um, future leaders deferred enrollment um, program and Wharton with its uh, MOLUS advanced access yes. deferred enrollment program. Yeah. Um, and, and also Marshall actually with its round four decisions. Okay, yeah, and I did want to give a special shout out to all the deferred enrollment folks who are in some are you know, still, as we say here, in, in the midst of this process um, and finding out. And congrats to anyone who's recently learned that they've been uh, accepted in a deferred program. Yeah. Other than that, in July, we're doing uh, our essay insight series, as I've been mentioning on the show here. We, it doesn't start the first week of July because there's the 4th of July that week, and so we'll be all uh, off barbecuing or something. But it does start that following week, which I think is like, I want to say the 12th of July, and it runs four weeks. So it actually this year runs into August. And I've got to, I, I need to check with Mike for the latest list, but the list of schools that I'm looking at says Wharton, Chicago, Dartmouth, Berkeley, Columbia, Duke, Yale, Georgetown, Michigan, Cornell, LBS, and INSEAD, Carnegie Mellon, UNC. There's still maybe a couple others. I need to check with him, but those are really fun sessions. We have about four schools that join us each week. Uh, they're at noon Eastern on Wednesdays. And we just, you know, talk about their essay topics and ask them, uh, you know, kind of how they came up with these questions and things. And you can sign up for these by going to bit.ly forward slash C-A-M-B-A essay. Uh, probably our most popular event series that we run each year. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, no, absolutely brilliant. I'm surprised you didn't get IMD to sign up, Graham. Oh, I, you know, I should have asked them when I was down there, but I, I need to, yeah, I, well, we're going to, we probably need to do a kind of European yeah. one at some point. So yeah. um, the other thing we've started up, which I know you're into this because you do the week ahead um, series, we now have started our weekly refresh series, which is uh, just a, an article that we run each week that summarizes all the schools that have announced deadlines, essay topics, anything that's happening for the 23-24 application cycle. So you can see that we typically publish that every Friday, uh, and we've started that up again, which is great. We also ran an admissions tip. You'll see lots of admissions tips this time of year, um, and this one 
one uh, last week was about defining your post-MBA career goals. So obviously a critical uh, portion of the application process. We have lots of um, words spent writing about that in the book that you wrote, Alex, uh, the, the Becoming a Clear Admit book, which is free to anyone on our website who has registered. So um, check out the book if you want even more information on how to define your career goals. Uh, other than that, Alex, I, there were I have two... to say oh, go ahead. it's yeah. a great book. I have to yeah. say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the reviews have always been fantastic from both admissions directors and, you know, kind of applicants yeah. alike. So I think you you should be patting yourself on the back. Um, we did two kind of uh, interviews on the site that I wanted to call everyone's attention to. The first was we connected with Nathan Eisenberg, who is the, um, oh gosh, I forget his exact title, but I want to say Senior Associate Director of Admissions at Michigan Ross. And, you know, we we always ask them the, in these this Q&A series, which we're going to be now running for the next probably several months because we're connecting with all the top schools, we always ask them the same questions. You know, there's sort of some operational questions about how they read files. There's questions about essays, interviewing. We have a new question this year about wait lists. Um, But we also ask them to talk about uh, great courses at their program. And so I just wanted to share what Nathan said because I thought it was kind of interesting. He said, one of our longtime most popular courses is called Business Leadership in Changing Times, which is taught by Michigan Ross professor Mike Barger. In this course, students take on the role of CEO for a company that is facing a huge challenge publicly and have to create a plan of action to address stakeholders. During simulated press conferences, students reenact crises by role-playing members of different stakeholder groups while the real-life executives that face these challenges are watching. So literally what they do, and I I saw this um, on their website, they literally had like in the last year or so, they had like the CEO of Pepsi come in, CEO of uh, General Mills. There was like a laundry list of companies where people are stopping by campus to sort of see how the students are kind of handling these real, um, you know, kind of, well... Crises. So. Uh, have they invited the CEO of Anheuser Busch for the for this upcoming season? I don't know. They might. <laughs> they might need to. Yeah, I've been reading about that. So they. I don't know. Um, I. I should have written down all the the companies, but it was a yeah. pretty impressive list of like you know big companies coming. So sounds like a fun class. I. I, I have to love love the 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 guy's job title, senior associate director. That was my job title when I was at Wharton oh, for yes. seven years, and yeah, yeah. it's sad. S-A-D, sad. You're not the director. <laughs> I never thought of that. And yeah. we're not going to make you the director, but we will, <laughs> you know, we'll call you senior for something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and actually, I don't know the exact hierarchy over there, but I think you're right. I think Nathan is second in command, yeah. um, but I'm not sure, <laughs> just like you were at Wharton. Well, so, I, I was uh, second in yeah. command. I think I ended up about fifth in command, but I'm not, not quite sure <laughs> you my trajectory was too, too yeah. spectacular. Uh, But anyway, so yeah, so check out the admissions director Q&A series. I mean, so we have Ross this week. We're going to be talking to all the top schools and they're they're coming. I know Lauren on our team who does those says there are a whole bunch of them queued up. So stay tuned there. Uh, The last thing I wanted to talk about with respect to the website is we did another Real Humans alumni piece where we connected with Peter who went to Toronto, uh, University of Toronto, Rotman, and he graduated in 2020 and works at Johnson & Johnson as a marketing associate. Just kind of interesting to hear from him 
He's originally from uh, kind of Thornhill, Ontario, which is a suburb of, of uh, Toronto, I believe. And he mentioned that, you know, we always ask for advice, right? And he said, as a student, it was easy to focus on the things that you feel comfortable with. And for me, that was healthcare, right? So he works at J&J now. And he said, I wish I was told to take more risks. There were a lot of missed opportunities when it came to being more engaged with entrepreneurship, working in startups, or being involved in venture capital. And I believe that it was because I was a bit risk averse when it came to deciding how to invest my time. When I reflect back now, I've come to realize that the MBA program is meant to be a journey of self-discovery and school is the perfect time to take some risks and, pre and pressure, um, oh, what is he saying here? Risks and pressure test disciplines that are, I think he's saying to try out new things yeah. that are completely outside of your comfort zone, right? So, so that's just an interesting um, take. And I, I get that. I mean, sometimes you're like, well, I'm going to focus on the things that are totally related to the job I want and play it very conservatively. But we've heard a few weeks in a row now, some candidates saying that they really enjoyed taking sort of, you know, things outside their comfort zone. Yeah, no, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, time, that is the time to do that. Yeah. If, 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 you, if you can. Yeah. So um, last thing I'll say is please remember to rate and review this show. Uh, you can write to us at info at clearedmit.com, use the subject line wiretaps, and you can obviously rate and review wherever you are listening, be it Spotify, Apple Music, etc. cetera. Uh, Alex, we're going to do something a little different this week, which I think we're going to start doing for the next few weeks, because this yeah. is the time of year where the application season is a little bit quieter. So we have fewer candidates to discuss, although they're starting to come in. We've got some apply wire entries. We are going to talk about two of them this week. But instead of doing three, we're going to use that space to just have a kind of topic of discussion uh, and a, a hot topic or whatever you want to call it. Um, and Alex, you have this idea that this week we should talk a little bit about standardized testing, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so we're going to just spend a few minutes on this, but it's a pretty important subject. And I think there are several reasons that it's important. But number one, I mean, you know, sometimes people need to decide which test to take or um, whether they should take a test at all. And, and so it's very, um, this has become a big thing, particularly since COVID, where more and more schools allow for waivers. But just to kind of set the stage here, there are two main tests, obviously, that one takes to go to business school. One is the GMAT, and the other that one could take is the GRE. The GMAT's sort of the original business school exam, um, but the GRE, which is a kind of general grad school test, has kind of come onto the scene over the last 10 plus years and really um, started to kind of chip away and become, you know, obviously accepted at, at all the top schools and things. So yeah. you have those two choices. There's also something called the executive assessment, which a handful of schools take. It's normally for executive MBA programs, but there are a couple of kind of full-time traditional programs that will accept it. I want to say maybe Columbia, uh, I want to maybe Darden, Booth. There, there are a few that take it, um, but that is another test that's out there. And then, as I said earlier, the other option is no test at all. <laughs> um, but I guess before we get into these different tests and things, I wanted to ask you, like, let's, let's just go through it here. What do you think is good about these tests? Because no one really likes taking them. Right. But it, what, what, what's sort of good about the tests? I mean, I think there the, are the, a couple of reasons for, for standardized tests. Um, one is, and I think David Simpson of, of London Business School sort of always advocated this. They are a really good reflection of how a candidate will perform in the MBA program. So it's a good measure for that mm -hmm. academic performance um, in the MBA program. Um, so, and, and, and certainly my recollection when David Simpson um, would, was talking about this was referring to the GMAT test um, yes. specifically. And um, so, so that's important. It's also a way to sort of standardize um, being the operative word, um, people's sort of academic experiences around the world. 
Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, a degree from one country versus another, different disciplines, different degrees, different rigor, and so on and so forth. It's sometimes hard to compare a 3-6 from one region and one discipline to a 3-6, another region, another discipline, and so forth. So if we're all taking similar standardized tests, um, that helps in that regard too. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in these standardized tests. I know they take a lot of preparation if you're going to do it right. And if you're targeting top business schools, you do need to do that uh, rigorous preparation. Even if you're the smartest person in the class, you want to get your best yeah. score um, because you're competing against other folks that happen to be the smartest people in their class oftentimes. Um, so, 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 yeah, so basically, Graham, to answer that question, I think it's a good way to standardize um, academic qualifications around the world, but it's also a, a, a good measure of potential in the classroom in that first year. Yeah, agreed. I want to just add two points to that. The first is that I believe GMAC have done pretty extensive studies that demonstrate that there is some correlation between performance on specifically the quantitative portion of the exam yeah. and, and one's first year core curriculum performance in these MBA programs, which for those who don't know, the first year is quite rigorous quantitatively. Yeah. Um, so, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, I want, when we talk about standardizing or benchmarking, you know, so that we can understand different regions, disciplines, uh, caliber of education, et cetera. Um, I do want to mention that schools know that there are differences in test taking, you know, from one region to the next. So for example, they understand that, you know, the average candidate who, you know, has great grades, et cetera, um, and is a superstar performs at one level on the GMAT if they're located in like Brazil versus another level if they're in India. And some of that has to do with the fact that some regions of the world are very much trained on standardized testing from a very young age and others, the first exposure that a candidate might have to a standardized test of this nature is when they apply to business school. So the schools know that. So I, I think we just want to be careful that while we, while we use these tests to benchmark, we also take into account like the region that it's coming from and we have sort of historical trends and GMAC actually provides schools with like, oh, these are the average numbers over the years for test takers in country X you know, et cetera. So I just wanted to mention that as well. Yeah, very good point. So now let's go to the flip side though. What's bad? I mean, there are a lot of people who criticize these tests and don't like them. Um, and it's not just because they don't feel like spending, you know, time prepping or, or sitting down for a long exam. So what, what are some of the negatives you think with these tests? I don't know, quite honestly, Graham. <laughs> I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, different efforts. Can you game the tests? I don't know. I mean, again, I'm a big fan. Yeah. I hate to say it, well, and I certainly don't think it's a smart um, admission strategy on the part of a candidate to avoid the test and try to get a waiver. Yeah. Um, there might be one or two exceptions to that, and we could talk about that, but um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, you know, you hear sometimes there are biases in the test or, or and so on and so forth, but you know that um, GRE, ETS or whatever in GMAC really do a thorough job of trying to remove any bias um, that, that, that they can and so on and so forth. I mean, that's what their research um, yeah. is, is dedicated to doing. So so I, 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 I would basically go all in and, and you know, yeah. sure, candidates don't like the test. I get yeah. that. But look at it the other way. It's a great way to sort of show, um, um, you, you know, a... a, 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 a 
another part of your profile. Right. Um, and it's a great way, if, you, if, you G, if your GPA is not outstanding, here's a way to recover yeah. a little bit. I mean, I would say, I think some of the criticism that's levied is, yeah, that the tests are kind of inherently biased in some way. But I agree with you, over the last, you know, I would say like 20 years, I mean, th this this has been an issue that, that people are aware of. And so I, I agree that ETS and GMAC have worked very hard um, to, you know, I mean, even when there were sort of questions around, you know, word problems or things where, oh, the subjects that they're discussing are like not universal. And so they needed to kind of, um, change that. So they've done yeah. a good job with that. And I think then you could say, well, oh, but the educate, some people are socioeconomically disadvantaged or they're coming from, um, you know, poor primary school and high school education. And so they're kind of, you know, at a disadvantage, but I would argue that that doesn't, I mean, you still need to take the test and, and demonstrate where you are. Um, yeah. And again, schools recognize that they're taking that into account, right? So when they're looking at your profile, they they understand that. And I think, yeah. yeah so it, it is. It's interesting though because that is a big, um, you know, d debate that's out there about what what could be bad. The other thing I would say is I feel like you know if you take the average ten year old child um, and ask them what they would like to eat for dinner, they would probably say you know like macaroni and cheese or or something that's maybe not super healthy. Um, and so I th sometimes think of the test like that. Obviously, if you ask candidates like, do you want to take this? test, no one's going to say, or almost no one <laughs> is going to say that they want to take the test, right? But it doesn't mean that it's not good to do, right? Just the same way that like maybe eating right. some spinach might be okay <laughs> for you. Um, so, you know, yeah, but that's, yeah. And I, and I guess there are costs involved. Yes. Um, so we shouldn't dismiss that when you talk about socioeconomic issues. Yeah. So cost not just to take the test, but to prep for the test. Yep. And we obviously encourage folks to take the test with enough time to have to retake the test if you need to. So that's double taking the test. And I would, uh, would presume if we knew the stats, and I don't know that we know the stats specifically, that, but the average number of tests taken per candidate is probably um, above 1.5. I believe that's right. Yeah, and actually I should have, um, we, you know, we work sometimes with Alex Chisholm, uh, who used to be a GMAC. Yeah. I believe that's the number. Yeah, we could look at that data ourselves. Yeah, we can and, look at it, yeah. yeah. But so, yeah. yeah, I think it is uh, It is an important metric. I, You know, the only other thing I would say, for sometimes people who say, well, it's expensive to take the test, et cetera. I mean, you are about to embark on a degree that often will yeah. run you, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in, in you know, tuition, uh, room and board, et cetera. And not to mention, you know, opportunity costs. So sometimes I balk at that a little and I recognize, you know, people are getting scholarships, et cetera. But um, if, if this is, you know, maybe, you know, if, what is it? It's a couple hundred bucks, 300 bucks to take the test. So I just, um, and, I, and, I, and I think there are markets where there are waivers offered. Um, there's obviously schools waiving application fees too. So there, there are ways to kind of alleviate some of the costs. But um, all right, so last thing I wanted to ask you, and this is um, important. I, I did also want to mention, we're aware that both the GMAT and the GRE have new formats that they're unveiling later this year. Yeah. But I think we're going to talk about that separately because I'm hoping to gather quite a bit of information over the next week out in San Diego at the GMAT conference about the new test and about schools' kind of attitudes towards the new test. So we'll kind of table that piece of it for now. Um, but I did want to just ask you, who should waive and who shouldn't? Now, you kind of said earlier, you don't think anybody should waive, but are there, yeah. is there anybody who should waive this test? No, I don't think anyone should. Um, obviously, you, you could argue that the rocket scientist that's, you know, what, you know done whatever and, and, and shows through their academic profile and, and potentially their work, but mostly through their academic profile that they're a complete superstar. 
Um, they have, you know, they, they would have the wherewithal to wave, but why not take the test and get your 780 or whatever, because you are a rocket scientist and, and just, mm -hmm. you know, really show. I mean, I think it, it sort of shows a bit of bit commitment to the process. Is, is something that you're signaling by taking the test right. uh, and performing re really well in the test, you know, i.e. preparing and not just sort of um, going through the motion. Um, so, so, you know, certainly if your GPA and your performance academically is not w well above um, the, the median of the programs you're targeting, you shouldn't even be considering waiving the test. Now, there might be circumstance where accessibility to the test is compromised, and this is the only reason why waiving the test is even a conversation now, and it's a result of COVID-19 and folks not able to take the test at the time and a few schools have kept that policy open but quite frankly i see a lot of folks on the wait list that were granted waivers and that's a clear signal that go take the test yeah that's i totally agree whenever someone's waitlisted and they were given a waiver i sort of i mean and, and what's funny is i don't think it always occurs to people yeah. that they need to take the test like that, that would be the first step to kind of getting off that wait list yeah. might be just you know because the, the school you know just maybe didn't have enough information to make a decision so yeah it's tricky i mean i think there are um what if you're super underrepresented and you feel like the school's dying to get people like you in their class and you don't feel like taking the test and you have an okay gpa well that's the problem you don't feel like it right it's about commitment <laughs> to the process yeah i so, agree with you yeah schools you, yeah they want folks that f fill out their class that creates a great sort of spectrum of, of representation in the class right whether it's geographic representation cultural representation industry um and ethnic representation whatever it might be that there's certainly an argument there but um not not taking the test shows a little bit of a lack of commitment again unless they're a really extraordinary circumstance and then sure. yeah fair, fair play but i i really would push anybody to ignore the test waiver option if they can yeah it's funny um i think this especially at this time of year you know where most people that are listening are you know thinking of applying to school in the future yeah. there, there's still plenty of time to like prep yeah. for and take one of these tests and i agree it's an important data point i mean it's something that schools have kind of a scorecard uh that they mm. typically keep on the front of the application or you know now everything's online and so they have like a almost like a dashboard um with with the application systems and and you know your test score your gpa your years of work experience they're key metrics that are there and when one of them's missing it just yeah it sort of creates a little little bit of uncertainty, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so I recommend people take the test too. Alex, I think that's, I think that's a good, you know, sort of first um, take on these tests. Uh, you know, obviously we didn't talk about the executive assessment much. My view is that you only really would take that if you're applying executive MBA programs or the only programs you're applying to that are full-time happen to take it. Yeah. It is a little bit easier. It's tended, to, you know, kind of for older candidates, um, a little less math, <laughs> um, but in any event, yeah. So I think that's a good summary. And as I said, I think we should revisit this and talk about the new versions of these two tests, the GRE and the GMAT, when we, you know, next time we do this or something. Yeah, no, let's do that. I know you're going to talk to ADCOM. Well, our plan is yeah. you'll talk to ADCOM um, during the G GMAT conference. That'll be part of uh, um, next week's um, um, wiretaps and probing some of these um, issues. But I did just want to finish off on one point, and that's GMAT versus GRE. Let's just narrow it down. These are the two big tests um, that candidates should be considering. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, um, GMAT was the big test. Um, 
100%, maybe 10, 15 years ago, uh, right. maybe 80%, seven or eight years ago. Um, but right now, maybe it's 50-50. I don't know that um, for sure. Uh, maybe GMAT is, is slightly more represented in, in, in top business schools than GRE, but it's getting a lot closer. So really try to figure out which test will best represent you in the admissions process. Don't worry that you might think GMAT's definitely a better option than the GRE, as I might have advised four or five years ago. Um, it's yeah, it seems like schools are very open to both tests. Yeah, there's definitely, yeah, they seem totally agnostic. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, but, but you know, I, I think it's important to take a practice test, see where you land, and yeah, and yeah you can go from there. Yeah. yeah, and then obviously the, not to keep this conversation going, but the, the default is if you're good at math, take the GMAT, if you're good at English, <laughs> take the GRE. I don't know yeah. that that's exactly true. I think it's changing. I think one of the yeah. things that it's changing, especially with these new tests, which we'll talk about more. But yeah, it's um, yeah. I will say I have a little bit of a soft spot for the GMAT just because it yeah. was the original test designed by you know business schools for business school, right? So whereas the GRE was kind of shoehorned in as a general test that I think ETS realized, hey, we we can make some money if we sell that test into this other vertical. So there's a little bit of a business decision that was made. Um, but anyway, we should do a whole uh, episode on the origin story of why the GRE exists for business school. <laughs> uh, all right, but let's, um, if you don't have anything else, I think we can get into the candidates this yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, no? <laughs> no, for sure. But I would say folks listening, um, as, as Graham mentioned, this is a bit of a new format for wiretaps that we're going to run over the summer. But any feedback um, on this type of format, we might carry over um, through, yeah. through the season. So the yeah. format essentially is we'd pick a special topic each week and then profile two candidates rather than profiling three candidates and we're, yeah. we, we we would go either way but yeah. if we got feedback that one format's better than the other that'd be fantastic yeah or if there are topics you want us to touch on um, yeah. email them you know to info at clearedmit.com all right so alex without further ado let's get into wiretaps candidate number one so our first candidate this week has 11 schools on their target list, and those schools are Arizona State, Boston College, Carnegie Mellon, Emory, Georgetown, Georgia Tech, MIT, NYU, USC, UT Austin, and UVA Darden. Uh, they want to start school in the fall of 24. They've been working um, in the appraisal business, mostly with, I guess, mortgages, so probably appraising homes and things. And they would love to pivot into a still kind of a numbers-focused job, but in investment banking. Um, they're also interested in potentially in private equity or asset management. Um, they've got a whole bunch of companies on their list, including Citibank, Goldman, JP Morgan, and KKR. I guess that would be the private equity side. Um, they have an undergraduate GPA of 2.3, and they've been working for three years. Um, Alex, you had some dialogue with this candidate because some mm. things jumped out at you. So I'll kind of let you take it from here. But what do you make of this candidacy? I mean, there's not a ton of information. We don't know too much about extracurriculars. But I know you did ask them about that GPA, which is a bit low. Yeah, this is a candidate that should not waive the test. Right, agreed. We'll yeah, they don't have a that. test yet. Yeah, they haven't taken <laughs> I it I mean, yet. I know <laughs> I, I, I made the case that no candidate should waive the test. But certainly this candidate needs a massive test score yeah. um, to sort of... Uh, somewhat compensate for the overall GPA. Um, you know, if you've got a 2-3 GPA, you've got to realize you're at the bottom end of the spectrum um, for, for GPAs in terms of the range um, to, to even be considered. So they're going to have to go all in on 
anything that they can do to mitigate that now so i asked them what you know if there are any is there any context surrounding this um, gpa and their response was they did have some family issues at the time mm-hmm. so they're going to need to address that a little bit in the optional essay um, obviously we don't know what the issues are and and, and so forth and but, but even that doesn't mitigate in as much as, well, you had family issues, but do, we still don't know that you're smart, right? So, so the, GP, the, 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 the test score is going to need to come out um, on, on the real high end yeah. of the spectrum for the schools they're targeting. Now, they're not targeting, you know, all M7 or, or whatever. They're targeting, I think, a few top yeah. 16, maybe one or two M7, but top 16, top 20, top 25, right? So their range of programs, if, if, if you know, if top 25 is, um, might be more accessible, if they come back with a strong test score and can sort of uh, mitigate that GPA, that sort of top 25 might become more accessible and so forth. But I think they also need to do some um, um, work on the sort of transcript repair side. Um, i.e. take some coursework um, yeah. to show that, I mean, if, if you've got a really low GPA and a really high test score, as an adcom, I'm like, okay, this, this guy's smart when they want to be, right. i.e. when they put in the effort. But I have no, um, no, no, no comfort that they're necessarily going to put that effort in, right? Right. So, Doing this additional coursework can show me they're more dedicated now to their academics. So, you know, they've done financial um, financial modeling course. That's obviously directly related to the work that they're doing. Um, but whether they need to do MBA math or HBS core or GMAX version, whose name escapes me right now, yeah, or even more, yeah. yeah, business fundamentals. Um, they they got work to do, Graham. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, what's interesting to me is this is a candidate where you rarely see someone with such a range of schools. So they have MIT, which is an M7 school on their list. But then they also have, you know, Arizona State and, um, you know, Georgia Tech and um, Boston College. So they have a yeah. real range. And I, I part of me wonders whether they should be narrowing that down. But I think they could at least take the test and that may help kind of guide them um, in this respect. I mean, obviously, if they were to take the test and get like a 780, some like ridiculous score um, on the GMAT or, or whatever the equivalent would be on the GRE, um, then, you know, you might say, well, yeah, go go for it. See what happens. You know, keep keep at least one of those top schools or a couple of them on, on your yeah. list and see what happens. But I could not agree more. This person absolutely has got to go out and take whatever it is, business fundamentals, MBA math, HBS course, some kind of remedial work to just show, like you say, that they can put in the time and effort to secure high grades. And, and that allows them to then create that, that was then, this is now uh, yeah. storyline when it comes to that GPA. So that's that's a big thing. We don't know about activities, right? I mean, I don't think you exchanged with them about that. So ideally they have some outside activities that make them interesting and round everything out because you know right now it's one thing to have a really low gpa but if there are other weaknesses that'll just add to the the challenge here so yeah i think they 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 mentioned in in one of their comments that they do have outside work activities or at least they said 
do you believe I can still get into business school with outside work activities and okay. a high GMAT score? So, so, yeah, so they must have yeah. something. Okay, well, yeah. that's good to know. Yeah. Um, I want to thank them for sharing their profile. It's an interesting one because, you know, just as I said, wide range of schools. We don't see too many people coming from a kind of appraisal, you know, mortgage space background, wanting to get into banking. So there's there's a lot going on here. They have that really challenging GPA, but hopefully they can hit a home run on the test, take some outside coursework, and you yeah. know, present a really compelling case to the schools. Yeah, yeah. Best of luck to them, but that's key. This is a candidate who should love the standardized test back to that right. first question <laughs> right. that you asked um, a yeah. little bit earlier. Definitely. All right, well, let's move on and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So the second candidate that you selected, Alex, um, has nine schools on their target list and, and also wants to start in the fall of 24. Um, this candidate's got a slightly tighter group of schools in terms of they're all kind of at the top. So they've got Columbia, Harvard, MIT, Kellogg, Stanford, Chicago Booth, Wharton, Darden, and Yale. Um, and this person has been working in what they describe as venture capital and private equity banking. Um, they want to get into consulting after business school, but specifically they would like to work uh, with like Bain, BCG, McKinsey, um, but they talk about wanting to kind of consult to the VCPE field. And I guess there are um, specific groups at, you know, the top consulting firms that do some of that work. So it's kind of a, you know, consulting job, but, you know, really focused on VC or PE. Uh, they right. have a really high GRE of 331. Their GPA is a 3.63. They have two years of work experience located in San Francisco um, and would love to land either in New York City or San Francisco after business school. They mentioned that they are a venture banker looking to pivot into PEVC or PEVC divisions of MBB. So there's actually, they might want to just go straight into private equity um, or venture capital if they could. Um, they mentioned they have leadership and management experience working at a restaurant while, um, per, while pursuing undergrad and that they've been an active part of their community doing volunteer work. Um, and they mentioned that they currently help to provide food and water to more than a dozen people in Pakistan. So that's kind of the background my first question on this one, and I'm curious to hear your take, is I wondered where they're from originally, um, because that Pakistan comment about volunteer work made yeah. me wonder if maybe that's where they're from. I don't know the answer, I, but yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, obviously that might be Pakistani heritage or directly from Pakistan, um, which, which you know, if, if that's the case, then targeting the first round um, might become more important, um, just, just, you know, as a potentially overrepresented. But um, the, the, the key to this candidacy is why now? Um, so they, you know, it sounds like they're doing really interesting work experience. Um, their numbers are really strong. Um, and, you know, they get involved outside of work. These are sorts of things that we look at. Um, but, you know, is now the right time for them to get an MBA if they had a couple more years of work experience continue to grow and, and, and have more impact? They become a stronger candidate overall. Um, that would increase their options and their accessibility to top programs. And then also they'd get more out of their MBA experience, et cetera, et cetera. So if they're applying with two years of experience, they might... Um, compromise their overall access to the types of programs that they're targeting. Now, they might get into one or two of these programs, but they might not get into 
the the very best that they've sort of targeted. So I I think they've got to think long and hard about is is this upcoming season the right season to apply, or mm-hmm. should they double down where they are um, and and really sort of continue to grow and learn and and, and so on and so forth. Um, but it's you know that's entirely up to them because it looks like the pivot that they want to make is sort of still within the the sort of domain in which they work. So it's not like they want to get out of banking and move into something completely different. Um, so there's more urgency to make that transition. So that would be my only sort of pushback. Now, the other um, argument to that is, well, they might as well apply this season, see where their chips fall. And if they don't get the offers that they really are seeking and they still have the opportunity to continue to grow and learn at work, um, then they can come back as a reapplicant in a, in the next year or two, and as we know and we we state on a regular basis, reapplicant admit rates can be higher than first time candidates. So there might not be anything lost for this candidate applying this season. My question is: Is this season the right season for them to apply? Yeah, I, I mean, there were three things that jumped out at me with this candidate. First is I wanted to know what their heritage was, where they were from, just to be, get a better hand on, you know, like you yeah. say, should they apply in the first round or not? Because if they're overrepresented, you know, as, as a Pakistani or something, then they need to apply early. The second was, yeah, they don't have a lot of work experience. Two years is not a lot. Um, right. And so, like you say, you know, there, there are concerns there. But no harm, I guess, in applying. It doesn't, you know, it just could be that they end up um, having to wait another year or something. Uh the last thing was their current role and this sort of, you know, I mean, I get that they're currently doing banking, but I think they're they're working for probably a bank that provides services to maybe venture-backed companies or to venture capital firms. It's a little unclear to me. Um, and I'm wondering, like, how would a career services director view the change that they want to make? Would they say, oh yeah, well, they're already kind of in the industry. And so going over to McKinsey or going to an actual PE or VC fund, won't be so bad because they have exposure to the industry, if not the function. Um, right. Or it could be that someone might say, no, this is, you know, that's sort of like, um, you know, they're, I don't know what the right word is, that, you know, they're working adjacent to the industry, but it's still a tough industry to break into. And so, you know, they're going to need um, to maybe first go to consulting or, or to get an iBanking job and, and do the, you know, so I don't really know um you know, that, that'd be a question for them. They could explore this very easily by talking to people in the space that they want and ask them, well, how would you view my background if you were hiring someone? You know, so that, that's right. not so hard for them to do. I, I encourage them to actually do that because it'll just help them to better understand what the paths are that are open to them. But again, numbers are great. Sounds yeah. like they do some volunteer work. Um, they're already in the U.S., which is always an asset. If you're, you know, if if you're kind of Indian or Pakistani, you're kind of overrepresented. But you're already in the states working. Maybe they already did school in the states. It's you know they it's on. We don't know the answer to that, but that that helps too. So so we'll see. Um, but it's an interesting profile, and I I like that they have pretty focused goals. So yeah. that could help too. Yeah, I mean, this could be a potential superstar. We just don't know that yet. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, um, all right. So, I want to thank you, Alex, for picking out these two candidates this week, and to both candidates for sharing their profiles. Hopefully, the advice we've given is useful as they travel along their admissions journey. Uh, well, we'll be back next week, or I, I mean, we don't really know what's going to happen. But I'm going to try to come back next week with some live audio from the GMAC conference, which is the big conference of all the business schools um, admissions teams. So, I'm going to try to get some people. 
put them on the spot, ask some questions, and and come back with an episode along those lines next week. Uh, but in the meantime, yeah, everyone, thanks for listening, and we'll see you in a week, one week's time. Brilliant. Best luck, everyone. Take care. Stay safe.